this week on Hope for the Broken. If all of my prayers were answered, if every one of my prayers were answered, who would benefit the most? In other words, would it be me that would be the recipient of blessings because my prayers are focused upon just me? Or would it be others that would be most benefited because my prayers have focused on them? It's a sobering question. I think challenges us all. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming help found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitydtx.org. This week, we continue our series called Made New. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part six titled, A New Prayer. We are in the middle of a teaching series that we've entitled Made New as we're working our way through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 here this morning. But this concept of being made new in the personal work of Jesus Christ is a common theme that echoes throughout the book of Ephesians. And there's some profound implications about us being made new in Christ. That is that our old sinful ways have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, yet it is Christ that lives in me. That is Paul in the book of Galatians. But it is ushering in this new life in Christ. And we've talked about how we have a new identity in Christ. We've talked about how we have a new focus in Christ. We talked about how we have new life. We've moved from death to life, all because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. That the work of Jesus then pushed the gospel beyond just the Jews to include us Gentiles into the gospel message and into the church, and therefore we're a part of a new body of believers. And last week we discovered that there is a new plan to our lives, that God is ultimately working His plan, and we are a part of it. And we seek to align our will, our desires, to that of God's will and His desires for our life. Today, we're going to look at a new prayer, a new prayer. And in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, extremely theological, the second three chapters, extremely practical. And in the middle here, what we have is a transition, a prayer of Paul's, and it is a powerful prayer. But before we dive into that, I'm just curious, do we have anybody in the room that would consider themselves a bird watcher or you enjoy watching birds? Anybody like to admit to that? Okay, a few of you. And birds are fascinating creatures, especially hummingbirds, right? Have you ever watched a hummingbird? Did you know that they can flap their ring, wings up to 80 times per second? I mean, pretty, pretty fascinating creatures. But I have a, an inquisitive mind at times. And I have at times observed birds sleeping, you know, on a perch. And, and, and my mind is, because I know how I am when I go to sleep, like I am crashed, like I lay it flat uh, uh, down. But birds, they'll sleep on a perch. Like, have you ever wondered how in the world can a bird sleep on a perch without falling off? 
Well, I read an article this week that said that a bird has a tendon called the flexor tendon that stretches from uh, the top of its leg down to its toes and back behind the leg in such a way that when the bird bends its knees, its claws automatically clasp and it's unable to release those, uh, uh, those claws until the bird extends its knees then it can release its grasp. In other words, there is power for the bird to remain consistent when the bird is on its knees. The same is true for us when it comes to the the posture of prayer. There is a power, there is a strength above a human strength when we find ourselves on our knees bowed before the Lord in prayer. And that's exactly what Paul is going to talk about here this morning. Paul links, he attaches spiritual power, spiritual victory, spiritual strength to prayer. In other words, for Paul, that strength is never detached from the posture of one praying. It it is also in observing Jesus' prayer life that the disciples ultimately determined there must be some sort of power in prayer. And so they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We observe something about the Lord's life that we need to know because there is a supernatural strength that is made available. It must be through the vehicle of prayer. So Lord, teach us to pray. Well, we see the same thing here in Paul's prayer. This is a power-filled prayer. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to learn four things by looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And ultimately, it was Paul's prayer for all believers because it was the intent of this book to be distributed, the intent of this letter to be distributed amongst all the believers in the region. And we're going to see how Paul prays with humility, how he prays for supernatural strength, how he prays for an understanding of Christ's love, and he also prays with great expectation. And so that'll serve as our outline here this morning as we unpack a new prayer. Let's first examine how Paul models for us to pray with humility. You read along in your copy of God's Word. Let's read verses 14 and 15 of Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Notice the posture Paul takes in prayer. He kneels. Kneeling is a posture of humility. Now remember where Paul is when he prays this prayer. You remember where he's at? Last week we saw that he is a prisoner of Christ. He is literally in a jail cell. Now jail cells in first century uh, were really awful places. It would have been humiliating alone for Paul to have been in a jail cell. Add to that the fact that he is most likely chained, physically chained, to a Roman soldier. Further humiliation. Everywhere he goes, you think about that. There is a Roman soldier that follows him, that is with him every step of the way. And yet, even in this case, Paul kneels. Now, I can imagine this Roman soldier going, dude, why are you praying so much? Like, I've got to get down with you in order to pray because we're chained together, right? And But Paul does that. He humbles himself. He takes a posture of humility. When we pray, 
beloved, we should do so with an attitude of humility. You know, there are many instances in the Bible of people kneeling in prayer. King Solomon, Ezra, and Daniel are Old Testament examples of where they actually are, we are told they have kneeled in prayer. You think about Stephen. Remember when Stephen was stoning, he was kneeling, but he was actually praying. Peter kneeled to pray, and even Jesus kneeled to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. People often came to Jesus and bowed down before him. The half-brother of our Lord, James, who wrote the New Testament book entitled after his name, James, was known as Camel Knees throughout history. Why was he known as Camel Knees? Because he had often spent time on his knees in prayer. We see biblical examples of kneeling before God in prayer. But did you know kneeling isn't the only prescribed posture for prayer? When he was praying on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says that Abraham stood before God. When David prayed about building the temple in 1 Chronicles 17, it said that he went in and sat before the Lord. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, he fell on his face, Scripture says, as he cried out to God. My point in mentioning these occurrences is to say, I don't think Paul is trying to prescribe a posture for prayer here. I don't think he's trying to say, I need you every time you pray that you have to kneel. I don't think that that's what he's saying. So what is it that he's trying to communicate here? I think he's trying to communicate two things. By saying that he is kneeling before the Father in prayer. First, he wanted them to know that he's humbling himself. He knows who it is that he is approaching in prayer. And so he desires to humble himself before God, inconvenience himself before God. And I think the second thing that Paul is trying to communicate is the intensity by which he is praying. Have you ever tried to pray for any length of time on your knees? It starts to hurt. Right? I mean, I get uncomfortable. Sometimes when, when, I, when I kneel to pray, I'm like changing knees. I'm alternating knees, you know, every, every, every five seconds it seems like. And Paul is, is kneeling in intense prayer. And the prayer that he prays is extremely powerful. My point being, I don't think the Bible is prescriptive on how we are to go about the act of praying, but I do think what Paul is echoing here is the same thing that all prayers in the Bible echo, and it is a posture of humility within our hearts. It's the heart that matters when we come before God. Oftentimes, we come before God because we're motivated by a selfish need. Or we need God to come through for us because we find ourselves in a pickle. But yet, we are to humble ourselves before Almighty God, and that is the heart of the matter. And we see this point further. When Paul says who it is that he's praying to, what does he say? He says, I, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father... Whom, from every, whom, from, whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now in chapter 1, if you'll remember back to chapter 1, we talked about a new focus. Paul prayed there, and it's actually one of the longest prayers of Paul recorded in the Scriptures. And we learn to whom it is that we pray, who it is that hears our words. It's Almighty God. 
But here, in this acknowledgement, Paul is saying that God is the father of every family in heaven and on earth. Now, there are a couple of different views that many commentators view here. I personally think that both of these views may be at play. The first view would be that Paul calling God a father is that he's referring to him as an originator. It is, in fact, God who has created every person and therefore is the father, the originator, the creator of all families in heaven and on earth. We understand father as an originator, don't we? It is said that James Madison is the father of our nation's constitution. That is that he uh, played a major role in originating what is the constitution of the United States of America. And so he is he's originator. The same is true for God. God is originator. Nothing is alive except by the breath of God. And therefore, every human, every family bear the very image of God. That's what Scripture tells us, right? That we are made in the image of God. God has uniquely designed us, and therefore he is our Father. Whether you call him Lord or not, he is the originator. But we also understand Father from a relational aspect, don't we? Now, I know that not all of us had amazing fathers, earthly fathers, uh, that, that raised us, and, and there's some real hurt that comes as a result of that. I was blessed by what I consider to be a fantastic father, earthly father, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but a dad who obviously loved and cared for me and, and continues to encourage me and support me. But God is the perfect father. Even where my good father fails, God is perfect And so therefore, he is our father from a relational standpoint. Now, we call him father by one means. We enter into God's spiritual family one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus as Lord, we become members of God's family, and therefore we address him as father. But again, the point is made that Paul recognizes God as father, he's supreme, he's ultimate, and therefore he takes a position of humility before God. Did you know Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray in what is known as the Lord's Prayer, taught the very same thing? Remember what he says, how how the Lord's Prayer begins? Our father in heaven, hallowed or holy, utmost holy be your name. And so even God the Father reminds us of the truth, but he both encourages us and requires us to approach him with humility. He wants us to come to him. Our words are heard in the throne room of heaven, but we must posture our hearts correctly in humility before God. You remember when Jesus was talking about the Pharisees? Remember what he said? He said, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Remember what the way the Pharisee would pray? Thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner, right? Is that a, a posture of humility? No, it's a posture of arrogance. And Jesus is essentially saying their prayers are not heard because it's coming from a place of arrogance. Instead, we are to humble ourselves before the Lord. He will then give us strength. He will hear our prayers. 
So we're to pray with humility. Secondly, we're to pray for supernatural strength. Pray for supernatural strength. Listen, prayer is the vehicle by which we have access to God's strength in our lives. Once Paul has taken the posture of humility, he prays for supernatural strength. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Ephesians chapter 3. He says that according to the riches of his glory, God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. I want to stop right there for just a moment as we look at how Paul prays for supernatural strength. He asks that these Ephesians believers be strengthened with a strength that is outside of their own abilities. Why would they need this? Because we know the early church in this day endured such severe persecution. I mean, it must have been easy to to have a thought to say, well, why am I putting myself through this? I mean, do I really believe all this to be true? I mean, why am I the recipient of such persecution? But Paul is saying, no, you need strength that is outside your own human weakness. And it is available through prayer. Paul is also praying, look at this, for an inexhaustible strength according to his riches. Well, what are the riches of God? They're limitless. There is no end to the richness of God's grace and his mercy. It's inexhaustible. It's an inexhaustible resource. And so therefore, we ought to take advantage of this inexhaustible resource that's made available to us. But notice where the strength come from, verse 16, through his spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the very power of God at work within us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, he says that when you heard the gospel and when you believe, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God as a seal of your inheritance. And when the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in in our hearts, he also brought with him the very presence of God in our life, which gives us the power to walk confidently and securely in Christ. You have strength to endure through the Holy Spirit. Paul attaches supernatural strength power to prayer. The the strength you and I need for what we often face cannot be found in our own strength. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in a situation that was just beyond your ability to bear it? I know I've been there. You sense the real anxiety that comes from wondering how am I going to get through this and you rely upon something that is outside your limited human strength you rely upon divine strength that comes from God you know there's a common misinterpretation of scripture when it comes to this idea I've heard people say oh God won't give you more than you can handle here's the problem with that it's not in the Bible that's not in the Bible Most people, when they say that, they're referring to 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That verse says nothing about God giving you something that you can't handle. So why would God allow us to walk through seasons of things that we can't handle to teach us to rely on him who can't handle it? No matter what it is that you're facing, you have access to Almighty God through faith in Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit in order to walk confidently in a strength that is outside your own. Beloved, Paul prays this. And here's a couple of things that I want to take notice of. Notice who Paul is praying that for. Notice who Paul is praying supernatural strength for. He's not asking it of himself. Isn't that something? He's praying that other believers would have that kind of strength. Now, this blows me away. Here he is in a jail cell. Probably has the temptation to think, woe is me. God, I could be out there sharing the gospel, but yet I'm stuck in here chained to this Roman guard. Woe is me. But that's not Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer isn't even, Lord, rescue me out of this jail cell like I've seen you do it before. No, that's not Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer is, God, would you strengthen the believers that are out there? so that they can remain committed to the faith, so that they can remain committed to the mission, so that they can remain committed by faith in God. I read one commentator this week that points out that almost every prayer of Paul's that is recorded in the Scriptures was for the spiritual welfare of others. Even when he was persecuted, in prison, and in need of many things, he prayed primarily for fellow believers that they might be spiritually protected and strengthened. Isn't that amazing? To this point, I was confronted with a question this week. Here's the question that I would like to pose to you. If all of my prayers were answered, if every one of my prayers were answered, who would benefit the most? In other words, would it be me that would be the recipient of blessings because my prayers are focused upon just me? Or would it be others that would be most benefited because my prayers have focused on them? Paul's prayer was for the other believers. It's a sobering question. I think challenges us all. Pray that they'd be strengthened by the Spirit and their inner being. Now watch what happens as a result of this strengthening. Two things. Verse 17. Both in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell. I want you to take note of that word. In your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Take note of rooted and grounded. The word translated as dwell literally means to be exactly at home with. Or it can also be translated as to settle down as a permanent resident. The results of the Spirit's working is that Christ is at home in our hearts. Is Christ at home in your heart? Does he find permanent residence in your heart? Does he have every room of our hearts or are there certain places in our home that we don't allow Jesus to go into right no no you, that's a closet 
Can't go in there. No, Jesus, the object of this strengthening is that Jesus may dwell, have permanent residence in all of our hearts. That means that whatever you face, wherever you go, you don't go alone. Jesus is right there with you. The fullness of God himself is with you. I want you to notice the calling of of Paul upon the entire Trinity. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. I pray for spiritual strengthening through the Spirit that Jesus Christ may dwell in the heart of the believers. He's calling on the fullness of God to rely in the completeness of the Christian's life. Did you know, whatever it is that you're facing this morning, the fullness of God, if you were in Christ, the fullness of the Trinity is with you. He's with me. We don't endure it alone. The very presence of God, the power of God is at work in and through this. Also results, Paul says, is us being rooted and grounded. Rooted, carrying the idea of a tree's roots, twisting itself around each other and around rocks in order to provide a a deepening of that tree. Grounding, meaning to lay a foundation that is firmly established. In other words, the results of supernatural strength in our life is that the very presence of God is with us, the ability to be firmly planted and established, even during life's storms, and the opportunity to live godly lives. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does. You have strength that is not your own, but it comes through praying that God the Father would Strengthen you by the Spirit that Christ may dwell in you richly. We're to pray with humility, pray for strength. Thirdly, we should pray for understanding. Pray for understanding. When I say understanding, that is that we would have the right perspective, that we would look at things correctly, that we would fully understand it. Look at what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. He says that you may have strength to comprehend, that is to know or to understand, with all the saints, that is fellow believers, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays for understanding. Understanding of what? That we would know the fullness of Christ's love and the fullness of of God himself. Notice the words Paul uses to describe this love, breadth, length, height, and depth. These are all terms of measurement. They measure in all directions. To Paul, the love of Christ was not this abstract out there thought. No, it was very real and tangible in his life. Though he could not possibly understand the totality of the love of Christ, oh, he felt it in every aspect of his life. He knew it in every category of his life. He knew the love of Christ in all directions. His heart's desire is that fellow believers, that you and I would know and understand that. The breadth, the width of Christ's love is wide enough to cover my sin and my shame, and not just my sin, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's how wide the love of Christ is. The length of Christ's love goes on forever. You will never exhaust the love of Christ. It will build up until you leave this earthly tent and you join him in eternity in heaven forever. That's the length of the love of Christ. The depth of Christ's love can be seen in the fact that Jesus left the comforts of heaven. Not not desiring for us to understand who he is, that he was God, but he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to know the depth of Christ's love? It's that he would leave heaven, die on the cross, but more than that, he would go even further deep. He would be buried because of our sin and shame. Then the height What's the height of Christ's love? Well, it's shown in the resurrection. That he rose from the grave. And not only did he rise from the grave, he dwelled with his believers for 40 days. And then the scripture says he was risen. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? Scripture tells us that when we die, when we leave this place, either by God's calling on his second return or by way of death, we will be seated in the heavenlies with Christ, you want to know the heights of Christ's love? He's going to take you all the way to heaven. I read a commentator this week that said, God's love is wide enough to include every person, long enough to last through all eternity, deep enough to reach the worst sinner, and high enough to take us to heaven. Do you know the love of Christ? Paul is saying, I want you to know it in a real, tangible way. I want you to try to measure it. We are to pray with humility, pray for supernatural strength and for understanding. Finally, Paul prays with great expectation. Pray with great expectation. He closes his prayer with what is known as a doxology. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The phrase, far more abundantly, if you were to literally translate it word for word, it would say something like, above all things to do exceedingly. It's actually a repetition of the same word, the word beyond. It's this idea that God the Father is able to do beyond what is already beyond all expectation. I mean, you think about that. You're already beyond expectation, but he could do far more beyond even what is beyond expectation. This is the God whom we pray to. This is the God who hears your prayers. We should pray with great expectation because we pray to a God that does not fit the limitations of our thoughts. Amen. We should pray and not just pray. We should expect God to move in power. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? And look what's more. The end of verse 20, according to the power at work within us. You know what that means? It means that the power and strength is already at work in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
God has performed a miracle in your life. You say, Pastor Chris, I'm still praying for a miracle. I don't think God has performed a miracle. No, he saved you. Do you realize what kind of miracle that is? That when you had no care of God, when you disregarded God's word, when I slapped God in the face because of my disdain or my lack of care for following his word for my life, he reached down into the depths and said, I love Chris Wigley, and he rescued me. You realize that that's a miracle? It's a miracle that I will live with him forever. Sinner like me. The chief among sinners, as Paul says, can live with God forever. That is a miracle, beloved. And he says this. He says uh, that God's glory should be made evident in the church. The church meaning the collection of all saved believers. The, The family of God should clearly reflect his glory. You thought about that? I mean, that, that plagues me as a, as a pastor of a church. Does our church reflect the very glory of God? Think, does your life reflect the very glory of God? When we gather here together, do we reflect God's glory in our life? That's, that's our job. When God receives the glory, he says generations will be blessed, Paul says. We are a church committed to sharing the gospel with all generations so that the glory of God would be made evident in his church until he returns. That's what our goal is. When we, the church, understand God's eternal purpose, we'll be led to pray with great expectation of God's moving. We're to pray with humility, pray for supernatural strength, pray for understanding, and we are to pray with great expectations of a great God. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.